Rest in peace, my uncle Mark Whale. And to all my people who lost their lives at the hands of white police. So you gonna shoot a brother in the back? Black mother at her doorstep. Impale a brother on a tall fence. Another brother shakes till he got no life left. Take the body bag to the mish. No respect, gunji bulls don't give a shit. The young fellas get chased into the river and their bodies turn up and they're floating like ships. Burnt in the back till his body turned crisp. Blame for the rape cause she put liquor to her lips. He's bashed in the pack, he got broken in the bits. He's got his hands up, he's innocent, he didn't do it. G'day everyone and welcome to a special presentation of On The Turnbuckle on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever podcast platform you join us through. The music bringing us into our segment today is Barker and Our Lives Matter. We've felt a number of strong emotions in recent weeks after the shocking death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protest movement that followed. There's been shock, anger and sadness as well as some inspiring stories to come from a tragic situation. One thing, however, is clear. The world has a systemic problem with race and people of colour. Australia, despite what the Prime Minister says, is not immune. And our treatment of our Indigenous brothers and sisters is a black eye for a nation with the potential to be so much more. Our podcast, we wanted to do something. It's a small thing, but we wanted to hand over our platform to some of Australia's Indigenous wrestlers. We believe it's long overdue that we hear their voices and encourage them to tell us what we can do to support them. We also thank the B Plus, who are also giving their platform this week to those same strong voices. This conversation will move you, will shock you, it will inspire you, and we hope that you get something out of it. I'll now hand over the reins to one of our very good friends, Joel Bateman, who will host today's episode. Joel. Thank you very much, Tony. As much as I've always wanted the reins of on the turnbuckle uh, for evil instead of good, um, I do appreciate uh, you guys giving us the time to do this. So uh, I'm going to kick off first with an acknowledgement of country and then we'll kind of get into everyone who's joining us this evening. So I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are having this discussion this evening. I pay my respects to the elders past, current and emerging uh, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening this evening. I would also, on behalf of our guests and the wider Indigenous pro wrestling community, both here in Australia and overseas, sincerely want to thank Tony Lyle and Welchie from On the Turnbuckle, as well as Greg from the B Plus podcast uh, for allowing us to have such a discussion in the public forum, um, speaking for everyone else in this uh, kind of recording. It really means the world to us. So, as mentioned, my name is Joel Bateman. I am a Nari Nari man from the Rivera region in southern New South Wales. Joining me this evening from the Noongar tribe in the Wajak region in Western Australia is Michelle Hasluck. Hello. <laughs> you are there. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, from the Wajak <laughs> tribe of Central New South Wales, uh, Erica Reid. Yes. Hello. You are, I am a You are here. Woman. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Excellent. I'm here. Right. <laughs> Technical difficulties you down. on the planet for um, <laughs> And one of the biggest supporters of Indigenous pro wrestling in Australia and the godfather of Perth wrestling, Davis Storm. That is me, sir. Thank you for the invite. Not a problem. And before we get into it, uh, I do want to send a special thank you to Aaron Dick from Bronco Busters, um, who I know has done interviews with uh, all of us in separate occasions for a lot of the talking points and structure tonight because 
Um, I was coming in with an opinion also trying to moderate. So Erin took a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. So I can't thank her enough for that. Now, well, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know why that cracked me up so bad. Uh, it's possibly because I'm really nervous. Um, Chill. It's okay. So... We're, we're here to talk about kind of the, the race issues, especially Indigenous issues that we deal with in professional wrestling. But something that got brought to my attention today when the uh, episode was announced is, as we all know, many cultures have wrestling that dates back hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, before the modern era. And Australia is actually no exception. So Aboriginals in the Indigenous culture here in Australia actually had a traditional style of wrestling similar to they Sumo Capoeira called... Do you know what it's called? Yep. Tale Three Tales. Yeah, Tale Three Tales or Karita. Um, and it's estimated yeah. that the first Karita tournament took place about 10,000 years ago, making it one of the oldest documented styles of wrestling or grappling on the planet. Um, there is an amazing article that was sent to uh-huh. us by uh, a, a good friend of ours, <coughs> uh, Neil. Um, I can't remember his legitimate surname and almost called him his gimmick name, but uh, Neil sent us an amazing article called Wrestling with uh, Wrestling and Reconciliation, which I'll send to Tony and hopefully you can drop that in the show notes at his discretion. So to kick us off, and I'll kick off with Michelle, if that's all right. How are mm-hmm. you feeling? Uh, how are you feeling and coping with the surge of all the Black Lives Matter stuff that's come out over the last couple of weeks? Um, a lot of support, of course, but also the incredibly confronting images and stories, not just recently, but from the past that have kind of resurfaced as this issue's come back to life. Um, personally, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. It, it's a lot to deal with. I haven't gotten as much support from people as I thought I would. Um, I've probably got about five messages in total, to be honest, from people in the community, in the wrestling community. Um, I've got a lot of people who've kind of gone like, uh, I support you, but they haven't acknowledged that publicly, um, which is pretty draining. Uh, answering a lot of questions and stuff, it's, it's, it's um, the last three weeks have been pretty, pretty tough, honestly. Well, and, yeah, yeah, it's been super, super heavy. And Erica, you could probably touch on it a little bit more in terms of because you and I were both obviously at the protest on Saturday. How have you found mm. kind of taking it on in terms of, you know, like <clears> obviously <throat> we're, we're trying to fly the flag as, as it were, but also yeah. we've kind of taken the role a lot of teacher and moderator as well. How have you found that? Um, um, yeah, go ahead. No, wait, who was it for? Was it for me or you? <laughs> It was for you, I'm Erica. confused. Okay. All right. Cool. Sorry. Um, I've found the, like, the protest, like, it proved a point that you can show solidarity and get a message across peacefully um, because that's what they did. Like, we did do that. So I think that was, that was a really eye-opening thing and a very... Um, like cool thing to be a part of because we like yeah we're angry yeah we're pissed off yeah we've had enough like it's not cool it's not a game anymore like how many more people have to die in custody and whatnot before it's 
not an issue anymore because it shouldn't be an issue. Obviously, in any culture, that like their job is to help protect us and to keep us safe, not do the opposite. But seeing everyone at the protest on Saturday it was empowering. It was, it was a little bit emotional. It was overwhelming. It was anger it was a relief like there was so many mixed emotions with it because you could see people healing from it but you could see people getting angry but obviously they weren't projecting violence they were just doing it peacefully and that's what the elders wanted and that's what our ancestors would have wanted we don't, they don't want war they don't want fighting they just want to be like peaceful they just want equality so yeah and, and then and then Dave I guess you kind of sit in the middle because you were obviously very much a, a senior figure in Australian wrestling I'm not calling you old you're in the best shape of all of us but um, <laughs> you're obviously a, a senior figure in Australian wrestling and you're obviously incredibly supportive of the indigenous community but uh, well she said before we started recording that because he was at the protest with us as well and he felt you know a massive sense of almost kind of shame being there as a, a white man, yep. you obviously kind of walking, you know, balancing on a razor blade between being senior in the community and not only being senior, but being senior and very outspoken in the community. How have you found that? Because you have taken on that kind of educational role as well, even though it wasn't necessarily your place, you as you always do have obviously stepped up. Sure. It's, it's something I've come to tentatively and it's something I've come to very slowly in my life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm almost 41 years old now and in my youth, I think even though I, I experienced racism also obviously being an Asian Australian, um, yeah. that still I, I, I bought into the same narratives about Indigenous Australians that I was taught at school. I bought, I bought into the same history. I, I, uh, you know, without even realising, so many little untruths about people are, are sewn into your vision of them throughout your years, whether it's by aunties or uncles or um, parents or school teachers that just, there are so many things that just permeate you so slowly and so in, in such tiny little ways that you don't even notice that this is happening to you and you you consider yourself a reasonable person and you, you look at people who are outwardly racist like the KKK and you think, what would it take for someone to get there? And then if you tick off a box of ways that uh, Indigenous people have said that, that, that society has hurt them over the years, the, the little jokes, the, the you know, jokes about being out of work or jokes about ending up in jail and they're just... I'm sure people are not trying to be mean-spirited when they do these things, but these things hurt people. These words truly hurt people, and it influences the way that we think about people. Um, I, I got to an age where I had to reconcile my own behaviour and realise although I had been subject to racism and I had been subject to, to feeling less than, that I'd then projected that onto other people as well, that I'd used words that I probably shouldn't use, that I'd talked about people in, in manners in which they didn't deserve to be talked about. And, uh, you know, my, my role now is not to lecture from up on high because I'm no better than anybody else and I've made those mistakes. And I hope that by speaking out and speaking from a, an honest place of, I, I, I'm not here to, I can't fix the problem, but I do know that for a very long time that 
um, you know, there were there were people within the community who uh, felt ashamed isn't the right word, but they didn't feel proud to stand up in the way that Erica has to embrace their culture and be able to promote their culture as part of who they are. I can go to the ring and expose who I am and tell my story and not feel like any judgment's going to be placed on me. And other people like yourself and Michelle came through at a time where, you know, racism was still rife in our industry. It's still rife in our industry. But that, you know, that Erica feels enough of a sense of pride and that there is enough support there within the community that she feels like she can go out and do this. That's a really powerful statement. And for me looking on, it's on me as a leader to try and support people in the community to feel welcome. You know, it's, it's embarrassing that, uh, that someone like Michelle in, in the house that I helped build would feel embarrassed about embracing our own culture and you know that's something that i'm trying to reconcile as i get older i 100 percent agree with you because because you, you bang on like the the era that i came in and that michelle came in racism was really really ripe going back to something michelle said earlier where you said that a lot of people haven't publicly because i've had this discussion with a few other people i'd love to get your opinion on yeah. it, michelle as kind of why you think people haven't you know, whether it's social media or, you know, to their friends and family, why they haven't said, like, supported publicly, I guess. Um, I think inherently people don't like to feel uncomfortable. Mm, yes. I think people like to think that what they're doing is enough. And you can't just be, I'm not racist. You have to be a person who goes, you know what? what you're saying or what you're doing as someone who is a colleague or a friend or a family member, you know, that is not right. And I think a lot of people don't like to have that discussion with people. They feel like not saying anything is enough. And, you know, we've, we've been uncomfortable for a very, very fucking long time, man. <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. It's, it's very much been good enough for long enough and it's, it's definitely not that anymore as and erica i can't speak for you but i know i've received a lot uh, a few messages of people going i 100 percent support you but i don't want to say the wrong thing and yeah. i feel there were instances especially in the last seven days where people said things with the best intentions yeah but whether mm. they're just not in tune of the issues for example uh, a good friend of mine who wrestles in New South Wales said all lives matter, but not following the news the way he does, uh, the way we obviously do, because, you know, we're in a, up to our eyeballs, didn't realise yeah. what that meant. He said it 100% to try and support, but ended up putting his foot in it and getting ripped to shreds for it. So yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, how have you found that, Erica, in terms of people kind of, you know, they want to support, but they don't want to say the wrong thing? Um. To be honest, I like, I was always like, I don't know, how do I, how do I explain this? It's like people have shown, like have commented on a couple of the posts that I've made the past week or so, um, mm -hmm. just saying like all lives matter stuff. And like, look, they're right. Every life matters on this earth. Every life has a soul every life has a, like a meaning every life matters on this earth that i'm not denying that but when you're a minority 
and your community isn't approved by your own country and you are blatantly still disrespected and still not listened to like that's the ma- like this is a massive communication issue like no one wants to listen and just like Michelle said no one wants to be uncomfortable and have that conversation but tough luck like i don't i don't i don't give a shit anymore like we have to have this conversation yeah. because our lives don't matter because the system doesn't let them matter it's taught that we are savages or we are whatever which is not the case we just need to listen and just chill out listen to each other teach each other new things like it's all lives matters but our lives aren't going to matter until people start respecting us and like respecting our culture and embracing each other we can all embrace each other we are we have proven that we can be a multicultural community. Just like at the protest, I saw every race. I saw every, like, I saw Australians. I saw British people. I saw European people. I saw Middle Eastern people. I saw Indian people. I saw African people. I saw every walk of life there, all of ages. And it proves that in a big area, we can all get along and we can all just embrace each other. And that's what, that's what happened. And it's just like, I don't understand why it's not a thing. I don't understand why people are still don't want to have their own experiences and learn from their own experiences. They're too scared living in what other people have told them. Just like David said, like people create those judgments. So I don't know. You said something really important in terms of, you said something really important in terms of having the conversation and Davis, I've got a personal question for you and Michelle. Feel free to answer it. But as parents with kids who are kind of old enough, and we like, because I've got two kids who are nine and eleven. Dave, yours are a similar age, and Chell, yours are a little bit younger. But how have you gone explaining what's going on in the world? First of all, Dave, to your kids, obviously, as an Asian Australian, and then Michelle, because your kids are obviously Indigenous trying to explain to them, hey, this is kind of, you know, in... Because honestly, the main reason I went to the protest on Saturday, because in 10 years, I genuinely feel like it's going to be that I remember where I was when. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Look, I, I'll be honest, I haven't had a specific conversation with the kids about what's going on, and that's that's not specifically do, to do with the issue of race. It's more so to do with the issue of news, that just news is so overwhelming these days. Um, that I have tried to, I've tried to where possible preserve the kids from that while sort of filtering information for them. Obviously, um, between myself and uh, my wife Michelle, um, we're we're very conscious of the things that we say in the house and how those affect the kids. And when the kids come to us with issues of, you know, a kid at school said this about another kid today, or or uh, a kid said something about a group of people. We try to have the conversation with them and, and we ask them the question. And, and you know, I, I, I don't believe that inherently human beings are out to hate because I see in my kids that they don't have that. They don't have that judgment. When you try to explain to them that there are people who don't like people because of the colour of their skin or they think they're better than someone uh, through through some kind of thing that is is no... You know, it's not it's not a choice that they're making, but it's it's just part of who they are. 
the kids can barely grasp that concept. It's it's so foreign to them because I'm I'm hoping at least that you know the in terms of education that we are slowly improving that we are teaching kids to be more inclusive. You know my kids they'd, they'd never dream of uh, they they've never said anything negative about a boy wanting to be with a boy or a girl loving a girl and those are open conversations that we have in our mm -hmm. house and when we talk about marriage the kids. My son will say, or you know, when a, a man marries a man or a, a girl marries a girl, like they're very, they're very open to uh, to being educated and to being influenced in easy ways, and that that is why we have to have the conversation. That is why we have to improve the level of education. And I, I truly believe that uh, what the girls have said is is right. That people don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation, and that I think that is so much more about uh they don't want to argue they don't want to argue with their friends and mm -hmm. that's you know i'm like i said i'm, I'm fortunate that i'm a point, at a point now where i'm a 40 year old man and my opinion on things is quite quite well formed um i have a strong sense of who i am and somebody giving me an alternate point of view i'm more than happy to listen to them um mm -hmm. and then respond to them but you it, it is harder when you're younger i think that there's there is so much conflicting information going around and people try to uh you know there, there's i think i think the thing at least for me on the outside looking in the thing that has been uh damaging but also really really uh obvious has just been the number of people who if i see someone who can post about black Lives matters and says the thing that happened here is absolutely disgusting, whether it be uh, what happened in the States or indigenous deaths in custody here in Australia. If, if someone can say that that is, that is a disgusting act and we need to do better, and then at the same time also say, hey, uh, looters or rioters, what, what they're doing isn't right. Cool, okay, I can, I can understand. Looting isn't good and deaths in custody is terrible also. But to people who are very quick to jump on the, the counterpoint of, well, looting certainly isn't the way to get your point across. They're very much missing the, the, the point. Fact can can you not point to the shit thing that caused this in the first place? Can you not point to the oppression that caused this in the first place? This is not, yes. this is not just a simple case of one act happened in the United States and now people are, are looting. Exactly. That's not it. It is it is a level of frustration that is built up over such a long period of time, and we we have these moments where. You feel like things are going to change. I'm I'm sure that African American people during the civil rights movement felt like we're finally here. We're going to get a seat at the table, and here we are, 40 plus years down the road, still having the same conversations about how we cannot get equality for people of color. Yep. Well, you but you're bang on because like realistically, we're here 200 years down the road having yep. these conversations now, as Indigenous Australians. Um, but I, I think you touched on something really well when you were talking about your kids where no one's born racist and no one's born homophobic. We're very much products of our environment. Mm -hmm. Michelle, with two Indigenous kids, how have you kind of found this time? Okay, so I had a pretty upsetting incident happen. Mm. Uh, my mum is quite dark and... Aria heard at school that a white policeman killed a black man for no reason by kneeling on his neck and came home and was like, are the cops going to do that to Nanny now? Mm. How, how, how do you go, 
you know, not all people are bad. You know, it doesn't matter about their skin colour and stuff like that. You can say that over and over again, but it she is legitimately worried about police officers now. And I've tried my best to be like, not everyone is like that. But this is what she's heard and she's formed an opinion on it. Lara's okay. It's, it's Aria, the younger one, as like, but not everyone's like that. Not Not everyone is like that. And I can only say that over and over and over again. And, you know, saying Nanny was a good person. Nanny is a good person. Nanny doesn't do anything wrong. But he didn't do anything wrong either. Mm. um, Very tough. Very tough. And when a couple of days after that happened, like a really small incident happened at a shopping centre and it just kind of, it knocked me for six. Like, we went to the shops, the girls wanted some shoes. I brought them some shoes. They changed their shoes in the shopping centre because they wanted to wear their new shoes. Okay, no, no big deal, everyone does that. Mm-hmm. Another shop with my mum, wearing new shoes. I gave my mum the receipt. She had the other shoes in a bag and they stopped the kids at the door because the girls had new shoes on. If the girls were with me, that wouldn't have happened. But because my mum's darker than I am, you know, it's, it's like I'm trying to explain that not everyone's it's, it's, here. It's that and systemic racism that exactly you were talking about. <laughs> Stop being I, shit. I, I promise this will take a positive turn soon, but I kind of want to get all the really heavy shit out of the way at the beginning. Um, yeah, we, the, the, on the turnbuckle guys put up um, and, and kind of threw it open to the wider social media verse. So I've, I do have a few questions from kind of people in our wrestling community. Um, that they did want to kind of ask the table, as it were. So, Re, Re Bell, at Reing the Bell. Oh, God, I hate that Twitter handle. But uh, <laughs> we all know we all, we all know Rihanna. We know Rihanna's great. And, uh, we love her you, canvas, Ray. Her Canvas <laughs> Chats podcast. Uh, I did a podcast with her on Monday. It feels like about six weeks ago, realistically. It was yesterday. Uh, and we talked about a lot of the stuff we're covering tonight. But she asks... What has been an offensive moment you have encountered from a fan or one of your peers due to a complete lack of understanding about your cultural background as opposed to flat-out racism? Erica, <coughs> can you go first? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, um, probably my favourite incident was I turned heel at a specific company and I got called a black boomer bitch. Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you do realise that it's a heel turn, um, first of all. <laughs> like, I'm doing a thing here. Um, it's a part of the show. I, I don't know if you know that, fella, but um, since you want to go racial, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't think that had anything to do with it. But then yet again, I take that risk when I use my culture as a big part of me in my wrestling and my everyday person because I wear it like I, it's, a, it's a part of my heart. I can't not feel it. So I also got to take that risk as well. So you just got to have a tough skin and be like, okay, you're just an ig- ignorant, drunk dickhead that obviously, you know, don't really get life that much. But at the same time, like I can't like – like, I still stand up for myself. Like, I obviously told him to get stuffed, but, like, 
I don't the know. The fact that it happened is, is yeah, the fact, fact enough. The fact that like you had to jump straight to that, like you could have called me a witch or you could have called me um, like, I don't know, just, just a bitch would have been fine, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, but again, I take that risk. So I'm not too heart, like heartbroken about it. But at the same time, I was a bit like, holy shit. Calm down. That's, like, that's come on. Telling, that's quite telling, though, that you have, and uh, I think Michelle's the same, just from having been with my, uh, been with her for so long, that uh, you you let that roll off your back and you excuse that behaviour by saying that you proudly wear your heritage out there on your sleeve. But I don't think anybody else would think that it's reasonable that if you wore your ethnicity as part of your your ring get up that it would be acceptable for someone to racially sledge you. Um, I mean, you're right. Yeah. But you've excused it because you are just so uh, conditioned to that sort of behavior. Yeah. yeah what no, about you, right. Dave? Um, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a terrible case for this. Most of my, uh, most of my, the, the things that I've encountered over my time have just been, um, boys gently ribbing and I, I was talking to a very good friend of mine uh who's also a, a person of color Devlin Reeves um and we were discussing mm. how a lot of us uh a lot of us who come from an ethnic background or for from an Asian background or from an indigenous background we use humor with our friends as a way to diffuse a lot of our feelings around these things but uh, him and I were both questioning today because we are we are two guys who will laugh about anything. We will create a joke about anything. Uh, we will go to the furthest lengths and the most unacceptable lengths of things to make jokes about because it's just a way of us kind of dealing with how horrific some things are. But um, we 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 tried to talk about that today that we feel like by doing that we've normalised. Uh, racist conversation that Mm -hmm. a lot of people can speak about you in that way now or speak about me in that way um by using but just being a part of the conversation just being just being involved in the the same fun conversation that we're having but that in some sense maybe that normalizes racist behavior in their head and and that perhaps in order to preserve free speech and in order to preserve um you know this it's just silly banter when it's amongst us. But, you know, if a if a white person on the street who I didn't know talked about me in the same way, I would be thinking, what the hell is your problem and are you looking for a fight? Um, so it, it's 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 really tricky. Like, I've, I've never been, if anything, you know, I've kind of, I'm on the flip side that I lent into my Asian heritage for one performance so heavily that I was probably the racist, being racist to myself. Um, <laughs> and my I, I remember that show. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, and again, it was it was done with the intent of comedy, but at the same time, again, by allowing, by allowing an audience to laugh at that sort of behaviour, am I part of the problem when I do those sorts of things? The, the answer, sadly, is probably yes. Well, I, I, th- I think you, you hit a, a very important nail on the head where the Australian culture is very much hanging shit on your friends. Yes. Like, that, mm. that, that's, how, that's how we connect. That's how, you know, we, we converse. And, I mean, you can speak for anyone who's gone overseas. Uh, Erica, I know you've probably dealt with it 
and I know I dealt with it when you tell your American friend to get fucked, they fire up like <laughs> you want to fight. Where <laughs> you know what I mean? Where yeah, I, here oh. very much we we just ha- hang shit on our friends and. You're exactly right, Dave, where, you know, you'll lean in and I'm guilty of it. I'm sure I can't speak for the other two, but, you know, you'll lean into, I guess, the race card as a sense of humour and you'll put humour up as a defence mechanism with your mates Mm. because, you know, either it's just banter with your mates and, you know, there's no malice behind it or it's the first line of defence as opposed to, again, firing up and having that uncomfortable conversation. Yep, absolutely. What about you, Michelle? Have you... Well, obviously, you've you obviously came into wrestling under Davis and in a promotion like EPW and with someone like David the Helm kind of knocking that stuff on the head. But that hasn't been your only promotion, so and you've travelled Australia pretty heavily. Have you dealt with you know like in regards to Rihanna's question? Well, for for a long time, I um, didn't really openly say that I was Indigenous. <laughs> so how can people hang shit on me if they don't know? It was bad enough being a woman's wrestler. You get crap for being a woman's wrestler. I didn't really want to have the added intensity of having that Aboriginality added on top of that. So um, when people started to put two and two together that my mum is my mum, um, I'd, you know, or I'd say, you know, I was Aboriginal, people would be like, what, like your grandparents? Or... Oh. Question your Aboriginality. Don't <laughs> like, get me started. That, that's, that's one of the most annoying things where we get questioned for our Aboriginality. And one name that came up a lot when this podcast was announced and who was going to be on it, I don't know about you guys, but I got messaged a whole bunch and everyone said, what about Ace Wilson? Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ace has been an amazing ambassador for Aboriginal mm-hmm. pro wrestling for about a decade and a half now, but he does kind of keep to himself. And to be completely honest, I did reach out to him about this podcast, but um, he, he was happy to kind of let us cover it. But to give you an idea of kind of the racism that still goes on. So I, like you, Shell, have not worn my ethnicity on my yeah. sleeve, so to speak. Uh, I've been in wrestling for 18 years, to give you an idea. And there's a company that I'm meant to be working for later in the year who shall remain nameless because they realize the error of their ways. And as this all started up, I approached them and said, would you look at doing an acknowledgement of country to, to start the show uh, in, in the same vein as what EPW have done? And their response was, could we turn it into an angle? <laughs> could, could the ring announcer be opening the show and you interrupt with the elder, interrupt the show and do the world country? Now, I read all... The four Can messages. I take a dump in your mailbox? Well, so <laughs> this particular person is incredibly lucky. I, did, I read all five messages one after the other and not caught the first one and blown yeah. my top. And they went, wait, hang on, that's fucked up, isn't it? Oh, my God, that's a horrible idea. I'm really, really, really sorry. And I went, look, I understand where you're coming from. This isn't the attitude error anymore. If you haven't turned to the television on, this shit doesn't fly anymore. Um, yeah. Needless to say, they're definitely doing an acknowledgement of country, and if they ever bring it up again, I'm threatened to flame them publicly. However, yeah. in a more positive note, and, and Davis, I'm going to turn to you for this because you have your finger on the pulse, both from a wrestling perspective and a management perspective. 
what are promotions in Australia doing to actively call out racism, both at shows and online? I mean, I, I can speak for EPW that I know when, um, when we first started doing Acknowledgement of Country, I honestly thought, uh, I couldn't believe that we, we were first at the table for starters. And then and I, I, I'm, I might be ahead of the curve there, but I think there was definitely one other promotion that was doing it, uh, possibly in New South Wales. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're talking obviously about a, not one of the prominent promotions. And I was, I just assumed that once we started, everyone would just fall in lockstep because I was, I was somewhat embarrassed that it took us this long to look at doing it, that it never occurred to us. And through going to uh, school assemblies with my kids and realising they do it at every assembly, they do it at every school gathering. Um, and at first, you know, your brain trying to process it goes, why, why are we doing this so often? Until your brain goes, oh, hang on a second. We, we're on Aboriginal land, which seems like an extremely hard thing for people to accept and process. <laughs> it, it took it took hearing it that many times at my at events that I would go to, and you, you you'd notice it at first at big ceremonial things like big football games and stuff like that. Yeah. But then over mm. time, you started to see it permeate into into the culture, into into regular society. And you know, I was shocked. Oh, oh dear, we haven't we've been really slow adopters. That that professional wrestling likes to think of itself as this progressive place where all people are welcome. And maybe on some fronts it is, but the, you know, the, the quieter side of racism um, means that we don't want to, we don't want to, we're, we're happy to support our individuals behind the scenes, but we are not happy to openly support the community. Um, and it, that became obvious as soon as we did the first one. And the first comment, I, I proudly put up a picture of Michelle's mum who, who did the very first acknowledgement of country for us. Um, and the, the first comment on it was basically, woe is me, why does everyone have to blame everything on the white man? I remember and, that. And, <laughs> I remember that so much. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. But like I said, I just kind of expected that <laughs> other promotions would just kind of fall in step. And I think it's, it's honestly one of those things that's, you know, out of, out of sight, out of mind, that it doesn't affect those people. Um, and, and I'm not talking about white people, I'm talking about people who run promotions. It doesn't affect them necessarily. They don't see it, they don't experience it. So it's easier to ignore. Um, for me, having a relationship with Michelle and having a relationship with, with Michelle's mum, who is honestly one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, that, um, you know, for, for me to see a lot of ignorant Australians say, you know, you need to get over this stuff. It's all in the past. To see Michelle's mum, who has been touched firsthand by institutional racism in this country, and the way that she carries on and holds her head up high, um, and and still wears wears her culture very proudly, while not being angry, while not or, or having that anger in her, but not not expressing that publicly that she would she would still be a face of reconciliation to anybody who would be willing to speak to her um yeah. that that very much motivates you to to get out there and push harder for someone like Narelle who who despite everything she's been through is just an an absolute picture of grace 
Um, and she could be angry and she could be furious and she could hack and she doesn't. She she looks to make things better for, for her community and her culture and for everyone in the wider community as well. I, I, I completely... Sorry, you go. I don't know, Dave, if you remember seeing my mum before the show? Yes. She was legitimately so worried that people were going to be so ill-receiving of that. She was worried that people were going to turn their backs on her and walk out. Yeah. She was very close to not doing it. I know uh, Troy Hunter, who, who's a friend of ours here in Western Australia yeah. as well, part of the wrestling community here, and Troy did it for the Progress uh, Progress EPW show. And same thing, he was going to backstage and he was he was making a joke of it, but he almost said that there was a good there was a good side of his ancestors talking in one ear saying, Mate, how unbelievable is this? You're gonna to get to go out on a wrestling show and do acknowledgement to country and we're proud of you. And he said the other side of his ancestors are in his ear saying, You need to go out there and scream, White devil, what have you done to my country? What have you done to my people? Um yep. the the conflict that my friend was having to go through backstage and much like much like Michelle's mum, I think he he very much had that thought before he went out there of what if what if they boo me? What if some what if just one person cheers me? What if what if they don't applaud at the end of this? How am I going to feel having gone out there to do something to pay respects to my culture? Um, how will I feel if just one person turns their back on me? It's yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to see people go through that. Well, Erica, you, if you cast your mind back, uh, so the company that I work for here in Melbourne, MCW, we didn't do acknowledgement of country at our main shows. And the promoter, Mikey J, has come out and said, I don't know why we didn't and we're going to now. Unfortunately, COVID-19 happened and we haven't promoted an event since. But we run the, the all-women shows at a very progressive LGBTIQ venue uh, here in Melbourne called Evie's Disco Diner, and they approached us. Country and the best of those. But um, Sean Hawkins is a very tall, very white male who was our ring announcer and, and did quietly come over and go, what if they boo me? And it's just, I, I, I can't speak to you, Erica, but it's the most heartbreaking thing to hear that you, you kind of feel that, oh my God, like I can't believe that you think that they're going to boo you, but holy shit, they might boo you. <laughs> um, it's it's just the worst thing but then I don't know if you remember Erica but it sticks in my mind because I was refereeing that show like the the genuine applause that went up after it because everyone went oh what, like, like Dave just said why aren't we doing this and the applause that went up from the crowd like it warmed my heart I don't know if you remember it but yeah yeah no I do I do remember that um, well, it's nice like it's I don't under, I don't think people understand what the acknowledgement actually means and I think that's why people are hesitant to use it because they well, don't actually like it's it's a blessing it's can you can you touch on why you think other promotions don't do it yeah I think they're scared they don't again they don't want to have that conversation they don't want to be that promotion that has heat for being like accepting of other cultures because for some reason that's a problem so I feel like people are scared. That's all that that's all it friggin' is. Like people just need to start being loud. They need to be proud. They just need to do it. Like I don't understand why it's a difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around. Like an an acknowledgement is 
the ancestors blessing us and letting us use this land of, for what we want to use it for, whether it be a performance or a speech or a birthday or whatever. It's, it's a blessing. It's inviting our ancestors and other people to come in and gather and enjoy this occasion. Like that's honestly what it is. It's respect. It's like just a, a blessing. It's, it's such a nice way to start a wrestling show. Like we're yeah. acknowledging the land that we're on. You're welcome. Come in. Let's do this. Fight with me. Yeah, it's such a and it and it takes like a minute or two. It doesn't even take a lot of time from a show. It's yeah. such a small hey. thing that's so lovely. And the aunties and uncles aren't known for long speeches all right they like to get in out, get their shit done. that's it they're done they don't have to worry about it they don't want it to be all about them they just want yeah. to bless the ancestors they want to invite them in we just want to it's honestly an acknowledgement brings people together that's the whole aim of it it's to respect the land respect the elders and respect that we are using this part for the occasion and i don't get why people are weird about it like it's not like with i don't know asking anything of anyone like a i don't know it's just yeah it's a two-second thing i don't, I don't get yeah. it it's, it's just weird. all about the type five you're right i mean what the intro i did at the start of the show that i screwed up twice took me all of seven seconds like yeah it, it, it's not a big deal but and michelle i'll float this to you first mm-hmm. in the event well we, we've discussed a couple of times it, where like systemic racism will come through in terms of being booed whether they booed an acknowledgement of country or racist comments directed at talent i because i got this question a lot when the uh the podcast went up what do you think fans can do to be more vigilant about racism at shows um i think it's the same thing as like when you're with a group of mates if someone's saying something that you don't think is appropriate hit them up for it first because some people are just so ignorant of the things that come out of their mouths. They might not even realise that what they're saying is hurting someone. Yep. So if you see it, stamp it out in person. And if it does get too much after a couple of warnings, you know, get the security, get whoever's in charge running that floor and tell them. Don't let people get away with that crap. Well, further to your point, Erica, I, I know you work for a promotion here in Melbourne who I won't name because I don't necessarily think it's the fault of the promotion, but their fans are known as being, for lack of a better term, pretty awful, um, mm. especially in terms of some of the stuff they say towards women, LGBTQ people and race. In the event, uh, if there there are no... If there are recurrent reports of, you know, racist or sexist behaviour in the crowd and the promotion makes no action to prevent or condemn it, what do you believe should be the next action? Um, I mean, if, like Michelle said, obviously confront the person, whether it be the performer. Like, I know I've had a comment. I can't, I remember the comment was pretty bad, but I can't really remember exactly what it was. And I was managing Sid and... Sid just shut that down straight away. He just stopped. He had a guy in a hold and he just looked at the guy and said, shut the fuck up and then just kept wrestling. And everyone was like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. All right, we can do that. Okay, fair enough. And to be honest, the crowd, like I know which crowd you're talking about, they've gotten a lot better because there has been security and stuff and people have been pointed out like, hey, that guy's been too much and people have had words with them. 
So people have gotten better at those crowds, but in like in saying that, I reckon the next step would be like, if the person doesn't learn, kick them out. If they yeah. try to come back again, give them another chance. Give people a second chance. Everyone's deserve like deserving of a second chance. They like they could have just had a couple of drinks and again didn't realize what they were saying was hurting someone. Yeah. And they've sobered up. They've come to their senses. They're like, shit, let's try again. I'm all for that. But if you don't learn by the third time, you should probably be banned. Like yeah. I think, like it's just like any pub or club or anything like that. Uh, any racial fights or anything happens, that person gets banned and they're not allowed to come back for six months or whatever. And like yeah. I think people need to start doing that. Treat it like a proper event. Like yeah, okay, cool. Someone's being well, a dick. Give them a warning. Kick them out. I don't know. F- Furthermore, to your point, I've got a question here from Kevin of VoicesOfWrestling.com who actually lives in Western Australia and I believe works mm-hmm. with EPW pretty closely. Uh, Davis, I'm going to direct this one at you. What responsibilities do promotions have to deal with racism or sexism, either internally or from fans? Uh, I, think, I think they have the same responsibility, whether it's uh, internal or whether it's to do with the audience, that um, as... as uh, Emma's just mentioned, like, you you need to address the behaviour first. You need to address the person and try and work out whether or not there is malice behind what they're doing or whether this is just someone who's misinformed or they didn't understand how their words were going to hurt or how their actions were. Um, Or they're trying to get a reaction. Sure, sure. Um, Particularly, you know, when it comes to to, uh, sexism, like, I I very much think it's it is very much still like racism that it is yep it is, it is now the joke behind mm-hmm. the scenes that everyone laughs and nudges each other and makes these jokes to and to and fro and that's almost the coping mechanism for the fact that you know there are still plenty of people that feel that way there are plenty of people who feel that you know uh, lots of people lots of women are getting opportunities that men aren't just in terms of rep, uh, just in order to fill representation. Um, but, um, you know, what, what responsibility does the promotion have? They need, they need to address the person and the behavior where it's coming from. We need to address the person who's affected by it also and make sure that they're okay and, and ask what we can do for them. You know, if they are, if they are uncomfortable with this behavior, if they need an apology for the behavior, then we need to facilitate that. And if we can't facilitate that, then I think, I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about the person that you're dealing with as well, that um, if someone realises the error of their way, they should be willing to apologise for their behaviour. And, um, you know, a a lot of times things are just misunderstandings and we're we're able to come to a compromise and move on. But Mm -hmm. we we can't allow these things to slide because it very much does just become the norm if if we let it go. You know, a decade and a half ago, it was fine for WWE fans to chant slut at Stephanie McMahon. That's not acceptable anymore. Um, but it was not acceptable because of education. Um, so, you know, you, you need to spot that poor behaviour. And, and I think for the most part, when people, uh, when people are inappropriate in an audience, at least these days, that um, people get uncomfortable. There's no, there's very, no one really gets behind them or cheers them or joins in chanting with them. People just feel awkward and uncomfortable, but sometimes it is hard for people to take that next step and report that person or talk to them and pat them on the back and say, hey, mate, that's that's not on. 
So it's really imperative on the promotion and the, the performers to take onus for how people are treated in our environment. Michelle, I've got a question that kind of bookends the, what we've been talking about kind of nicely. It's from Nick Collette, who obviously is a, a massive supporter of Australian wrestling uh, all around the country, and I know he's listening. And Scarlett Harris, who's just authored a book on women's wrestling that I believe will come out before the end of 2020. They both ask, what changes need to be made or could be made in Australian wrestling to be more welcoming and respectful of Indigenous Australians and also make Indigenous fans feel more comfortable at events as well? Um, that's, that's a tough question because it's a... Well, I didn't ask it to be easy. No, it's, <laughs> none of this is. No, it's just making me sweat so much. (laughs) You have no Uh, idea. I'm just trying to think right now. It's like where if someone comes to a wrestling show, right, they've got to be a wrestling fan of some kind, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so why isn't every single person who comes to a wrestling show looked at the same by every single person there? Does, Does that make sense? It does. And, and and I think, like, obviously we talked about the acknowledgement of country and, like, I can say with a relative degree of certainty, once COVID-19 is over, 99% of the promotions in this country are going to move forward with doing that at the beginning so. of their events. Yeah. Um, well, Davis was very much kind of the, the leader in that in terms of calling companies out on their bullshit, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, no other events got ran before we could kind of see people put <laughs> yeah. their money where their mouth is. But in terms of fans, obviously, that's fair enough. If you're coming as a punter, you should be welcomed as such. But what about for talent? Is there anything you think companies could be doing better? I don't know. Erica? I really don't know. I reckon, like... <laughs> I reckon we have a special maybe... guest. Well, here's the special guest. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. This is an audio recording, so it doesn't help anyone listening. But one, oh. of, uh, one of Davis's lovely children has decided to join us. Um, anyway, Erica, you were saying? I'm trying to think about that question. Yeah, yeah it wasn't an easy one. I reckon having more people... Look, the only way people are going to be less uncomfortable about it is if there's more... Um, use of culture like why don't we have more cultural gimmicks I reckon that would definitely bring kids in more or even wrestling in rural parts of Australia that's something that I've thought about doing before like yeah. just running my own thing somewhere I don't know um, doing I, I was like just doing the same thing today yeah, like something like that, or almost like, opening an invitation and being like, "You are welcome to come." If of course run, run, running wrestling in, in more kind of heavily indigenously populated areas, because I'd love you to. know, admittedly, admittedly, like ninety percent of the audience usually, you know, like we don't see a lot of um, indigenous people come to shows, and yeah. that kind of leads me to a question that came from one of David Storm's friends, actually. Um, we believe that Indigenous Australians make up about 3% of the Australian population. Yep. Would you think that that percentage is reflected in the Australian wrestling business or is it even lower than that? Is it higher than we think with some wrestlers playing it close to the chest? And Erica, I'll throw this one to you, but I'll preface it with the stomping ground event in Perth that was meant to be, I believe it was the end of this month, start of next, 
really no, opened. It was meant, it was to, meant be to be in July. Really opened my eyes with how many Indigenous wrestlers we have. And I was seeing names pop up in that group chat. I'm like, holy shit, your crew? Like, no yeah. way. Like, just time and time and time and time again. Like, what do you, do you think it's reflected in Australian wrestling? And do you think there are still other wrestlers who are just like, this is my heritage, but I'm not going to say anything for fear of the aforementioned? Yeah, <laughs> that's it, man. Like, <laughs> I, I am lucky enough that um, I was raised by who wanted me to embrace my weirdness because I am a bit of a weird cat. Um, nah, and they wouldn't have always, it for a second. <laughs> and they always, like, my dad, like, we don't have the perfect relationship, but as I get older, our relationship is getting better because of culture, because he, we're, that's common ground and we're learning it together. And I feel like people, he taught me, to not be scared. There's no reason to be scared. Why? I, if I'm proud of something, why can't I express that? So I think people, if they want to, like, again, it's a big ask and it's like, it's not a common thing and everyone's going to express themselves how they feel is right and that's their right and that's awesome. I'm all for people expressing themselves, but I believe people should, like, yeah, if they want to express their culture, I think it needs to be in your face more because I don't think people are doing it in your face enough. They're too scared to do it. And like, yeah, I understand why you're scared, but mate, it's not going to change if you're not scared. Our ancestors were scared. Our elders are scared, but if they weren't scared and they didn't get past things, we wouldn't have evolved even a little bit to where we are today. Yeah. Like we just need a really just just do it just we need more people expressing themselves in, in a proud cultural way whether it be a flag or whether it be face paint whether i don't know however you want to express it but mm. big or small get it out there why not yeah. like why not i i think you're banging on it like the the four of us in this discussion have all kind of been flagged as the we're the ones doing it for the next generation because with that stomping ground show looking at the roster there are so many people in there you know six months in a year in 18 months into wrestling who aren't wearing their heart on their sleeve as it were and i think it's um, and like especially credibility to you two girls that you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and you're calling a spade a spade now because in 10 years when touch wood if we're not around professional wrestling anymore people like Rochelle Rogue and Aiden Miller and I think it's Miles Malice in New South Wales can be proud of these things even though you know yeah. the color of their skin may not reflect their ethnicity much like you and you know all of us really but the fact that we'll then be able to move forward and they'll point back at us you know what yeah. I mean because yeah. very and much enough is enough and another person that when I was like, I totally understand that it's daunting and it's scary that you might cop heat for it, but people are only going to be mad for a little bit. They'll get over it. Eventually they're telling us to get over it. So why can't they <laughs> like, I'm just, ex I'm just expressing myself. And I had 
when I first started wrestling, I understand I didn't really show my culture because obviously I was focused on learning how to wrestle and doing it safely. And I didn't really have a character, but yeah. now that I, I do, um, I want to just like, I had one mentor who was um, Mana in Perth in yeah. New Horizon Pro Wrestling. He's Maori. And when I first met him, he just embraced me. Like just, we sat down and we just had a chat about culture for hours and like yeah. so much time went past and I'll forever be grateful for him because he kind of told me and reassured me that you're doing the right thing. You are like, don't ever be scared because someone else is telling you to be scared. Just do it. And he has embraced me and like he's a native culture as well. And he yeah. did the same when he was wrestling. He was very loud and proud of who he was. And I think more people need to be like that. More people need to be loud. More people need to be proud and people need to come together. If you support that message, then if another person's getting ragged at a show, stand up. If you're a fan, stand up and be like, Hey, no, I support that person. You shut the fuck up. Like yeah. if we all come together as a community and build this up, we're just going to create like a beautiful like netting and everyone's going to be able to sit in this netting and embrace each other. And it's going to make things easier to deal with and easier to have the harder conversations when you have support. And I think that's, that's a big thing. I love that. I love that imagery of kind of that, that supportive net and Nick Mana, um, you know, is a very proud Mary. And I think the work he does, with culture it is super important. And I, yeah. I know that obviously, you know, Dave, you don't work with him a lot, but I do hope someone does shine a light on the work Nick does in terms of culture one day. Uh, and I also did want to touch base. I can't say their names due to contractual reasons, but there is another very prominent Maori wrestler who's contracted to a major organization um, who sent across some of these questions as well and is fully supportive of everything that we're trying to do over here. So. So, so big ups to miscellaneous man. I'm not allowed to say the name Ooh, of due to legal Mr. Reasons. Anonymous. Um, <laughs> but anyone who can read between the lines can probably work out who it is. However, uh, Davis, I've got a question for you. And it kind of talks a little bit more about the behind the scenes stuff. Because um, now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is Devil and Reeves Aboriginal? No, no, he isn't. He's, no. uh, he's mixed South African. Right, cool. but but you you've very much championed different ethnicities and different cultures in the time that APW's been around. When do you think specifically we'll see more Indigenous performers at the top of the cards and headlining shows? Because now there's very much a point where you know we are somewhat of a fixture across cards all across the country. But what does it look like to have Indigenous performers headlining events? from a booking perspective without it being tokenistic. Sure. And that's, I think that's the, that's the difficult thing at this stage is just finding, finding the right performers for the right stages that just, it's, it is, it is a really difficult balancing act. And, you know, representation has been something that in the past, I would say, I, I would look out into employment circles and perhaps in employment circles, I would say representation is important and you need to, uh, you know, you need to you need to have something out there to sort of uh, give people a chance, give them give them give them an opportunity that perhaps they haven't had in the past. And but yet within sporting circles, I've always kind of looked at it 
as it's it's I I always looked at it somewhat cynically, I suppose, as as a performer myself, because I'm like, just inevitably the cream will rise to the top. Through having kids, I've very much seen, particularly with my daughter, that when she watches wrestling, she doesn't look for the best wrestler that she sees. She looks for the best female wrestler that she sees. When she watches the TV and she wants to relate to a character, she looks for a strong female character to relate to. When she watches the TV and the boys are playing footy, she couldn't give a shit. But she turns on the TV and the the ladies are playing AFLW and she's drawn to it. That representation is a real thing. And, uh, you know, Erica's a great example that she's she's out there shining this light. And this is why I would say, you know, I can't tell... I can't tell Indigenous people what the way is forward. I'm just, I'm basically just another white fella. So I can't, I can't make that sort of commentary. But what I can do is try and encourage them. And, and you know, I try to be as openly supportive as I can because I want people to shine that light because we are not going to draw young Indigenous people to wrestling without that sort of representation. They need to see heroes who they can relate to. As someone who is Asian-Australian, I watched wrestling for years and years and the only Asians I saw were evil Mr. Fuji throwing salt in people's eyes. There was, there was no great Asian performer until I discovered Japanese wrestling, obviously. And that's perhaps a large reason why I'm so drawn to Japanese wrestling. I've never really thought about it on a psychoanalytical level, but um, maybe that's why I was so drawn to it is because it was something that visibly I could relate to. I could, I could, I had a, a shared culture and experience with those people that, um, you know, when I look at the WWE, I didn't see that when I was growing up. And you see the influence of something like how much Kofi Kingston winning the world title. You know, that is, it's it's a it's a belt that they give to you as a prop. But how much that meant to African American people watching, and not just kids, but to other performers in the industry who looked at that and were breaking down, grown men breaking down in tears at how much this moment meant to them because they were being represented. On the, on the biggest stage possible within our industry. And I think it's super important that if, if we want to see a larger and, and larger inclusion, but also that for, for the Indigenous people that are already within our community, if we want them to feel comfortable in flying the flag and being able to represent, we need to show them that support. It's, it's, it starts from within um, and I think you guys are right that there is a lot of fear there in support because you are putting yourself out there. And it, it seems like it's it's some huge political demonstration for me to say that I care about my other brothers and sisters in this locker room, regardless of what colour they are or what culture they are. But that's not a political statement. I'm just, I'm trying to stand by my, my friends and, and the people in my industry. Um, and if in turn, you know, that feels like a political statement, then whatever, fantastic. But it's not a it's not a statement of uh, defiance. It's just a statement of support for for people in the industry who maybe don't feel like they can be themselves. I I love that statement of support from the locker room, and like again, I I never really thought about it until right now. I trust and have trusted so many people to pick me up and drop me on my head and not kill me, but whether or not I expect that same support if it came to an issue 
of race or, or, or gender or sex. Like you said, it's a matter of standing behind the people who you do business with and, and who you share a locker room with versus, <coughs> excuse me, anything else. Um, I'm going to throw to a question that got sent in by Pat Speed at Pat underscore speed. He asks, and I'll ask this one to Michelle, how would you like to see Australian wrestling create an identity that is unique to Australia than just being a kind of a jambalaga of British, Japanese and American pro wrestling? Obviously, our point of difference being Indigenous Australians. Um, I think that comes down to us being comfortable waving the flag so people know who we are and know that we are involved. Um, things like the acknowledgement of country, like having that at the beginning of DVDs or like um, stream services and stuff like that, I think that's super important as well. Uh, that's a really hard question to put as far as like the wrestling itself because we are a multicultural kind of, uh, in a situation where we are quite multicultural and we have taken things from Japan and America and the UK and stuff. Um, but hopefully as far as a, you know, it's, we can borrow, but then you've got to change it to suit where we are. Erica, you know, what about you? You can't just hijack things from certain places. Sorry, Sheldon, been to cut you off. Erica, what do you reckon? No, that's cool. <laughs> um, to me, what was the question again? It's all good. No one listens to me anyway. Um, I'm going to have to click back, back, back because I cleared it off my sheet because I'm a professional and then I forgot what it was. Um, how would you like to see, and Davis, please feel free to chip in after Erica, but how would you like to see Australian wrestling create an identity that is unique to Australia than just being a melting pot of British, Japanese and American wrestling? Obviously kind of our most unique point of difference being Indigenous Australians? Um, I mean, I agree with Michelle, obviously. The acknowledgement is a huge thing. Um, I reckon the acknowledgement, I think, like, even if you want to show diversity, why don't, like, companies have, like, a cool gimmick backstage where, like, even if it's just the thing for the boys where everyone brings the flag of their culture and around the ring, you can hang that up. And that can be like a gimmick to show that you're all united and you're all coming together. Like, why don't we do, like, not everything has to be super duper serious. Like, obviously, it's a serious matter. We're taking it serious. But why don't we have, like, fun with it? Like, why don't we include everyone? So we, like, Davis can bring his flag. We can bring our flag. We can use yeah. any flag, Japanese flag. And, like, even where people have trained. Like I know Sid trained in the UK. So he has a UK flag in our garage and I have the Aboriginal flag. Like it's something we've embraced together. So we can use that. Um, Also like gimmicks, like people obviously having different gimmicks and um, kind of embracing their own culture in their own way, whether it be like Davis or I don't know if you guys guys know a guy called Guok in... Um, Melbourne and he's Chinese and he's fucking huge and jacked and awesome and he embraces his culture he wears traditional clothing and it's dope like it's so cool so I don't yeah. like culture is a big thing so I reckon people I don't know having more characters having more even respectful and written yeah. by <laughs> indigenous people not other people but respectful storylines like we can 
like Aboriginals used art and dance to tell stories of our culture. Why don't we yeah. use wrestling to tell young kids stories of our culture? Like, for example, I could wrestle Sid. He's a frog. There's a story about a frog and how, like, the mountains happen and whatever. Like, I can't exactly remember the story. But, like, we can do stuff like that. Like, I can be the Indigenous person. Sid can be the monster. And I've got to beat down the monster. And the whole we can have a whole storyline and we can use, like, Indigenous, like, stories and interpret that in our culture. So we can do that. Like, I don't know why, like, I've thought of that and pitched that to people and people are like that's stupid and you're like all right whatever i'll go fuck myself then that's fine but (laughs) like why don't i think that would be really cool like i know when i was growing up i didn't have any really good role models like like (laughs) one one of the quotes that like i really live by is be the person you needed as a kid and I'm just trying to be the person I needed as a kid. I just want to be that weird person that's loud and proud. Um, I, and I, I think, 100%. Sorry, you go. I think that's just it. Like, I think we can, like, we're not changing the wrestling industry and we're not, like, we're still using the same exact formula, but why don't we just use Indigenous stories instead of the same recycled stories? <laughs> do, doing angles from... <laughs> WWE Companies 40 years ago. Yeah. for 100 years. <laughs> like, why don't we do that? Like, I think that would be cool. It's like a comic book. There's indigenous I, comic books. Come on, guys. Relate to the I party. Th- Let's start I doing I think this. the scope of professional wrestling, the goalposts are constantly widening, and we're seeing that with things like the cinematic matches that, you know, WWE have had to put on with COVID-19. Chikara and other companies doing, like, they're very kid-friendly, easy-to-understand, comic book-style wrestling. Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely think, you know, taking story inspiration from somewhere else is, it is totally doable. But I think when you were talking about, obviously, you know, having culture as a part of your gimmick, it's a statement that I've said so many times in the last week, but I think very much, obviously, being the heel and then having your culture be at the forefront Um Mm. It's scary because, like, and then the statement I've said I is, get that. Boom, boom me because I'm a heel, not for the flag that I have on my tights. I agree. Yeah. Do you know I, what I, I mean? T- yeah, no, I 100% agree. That's why I think it should be done, written by folk like us hmm. and Indigenous people because we know where the boundaries are. Like, we're going to have to think hard about it and we're going to have to, like, it's going to have teething problems because it's a new thing and it hasn't really been done before. But, like, if we did do something like that, there's ways around it. Like you can, you can feed a story without necessarily having a super villain. Like it obviously needs a good guy, bad guy, whatever, but like it can be done you, tastefully. You can take inspiration from the story. You don't need to exactly. present it verbatim. Exactly. It doesn't have to be word for word, but you can use the same premise. Like each indigenous story has a meaning. That's the whole point of the story. So you take a life lesson from that story and you go, okay, I'm not going to be a racist for whatever reason because his feathers are different to this guy's feathers, like just for example. Yeah. Um, so we could do that. Why don't we have like a storyline where we address racism and have like a good guy and a bad guy and instead of 
like we can obviously use violence because it's wrestling and that's what people want to see. People want to see violence and people getting fucked up and I'm all for that. But we can do it tastefully and like we all trust each other. So like, yeah. why can't we push the boundaries a little bit but still respecting, obviously, our elders, we're still respecting our culture but still yeah. teaching people about our culture? Well, Dave is the only person in the room who's kind of held a, a for destroying the fourth wall kayfabe's dead in this chat anyway but uh, as someone who's held a role as a booker for any length of time do you think can you discuss that implementing strategies towards inclusivity does that at all come at a cost of organic storytelling like are you including these people just to include them and does it hurt the show or do you think there is a way to kind of walk that line where where you're including everybody because it makes sense not just because you can yeah look it's it's been it's been tough here because the 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 mandate that I'm given by the people who give me my orders is pretty much um, they want the best bell to bell product and that storylines and everything else come secondary to best best bell to bell product and that can be that can be restricting and limiting in terms of creativity that um, you might have someone who's a much better storyteller um, but perhaps in ring it's 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 not there in the same sort of quality that um, it's it's always been something that's kind of been at the forefront of, of EPW that um, so it it can be tricky to you know the at, at the moment and who knows how this everything that's going on in the world at the moment changes people's perspectives the thing on the the almost like the company line that's on the wall at our training facility, the, the main thing that stands out is the world world class, the word. And that's kind of been where they've always aimed things at. And it's it's it is quite limiting that for for me as a personally as a storyteller, I'm more drawn to I'm more drawn to the character who is uh, finding internal issues to to confront rather mm-hmm. than this good guy bad guy narrative that's been around for you know th- there are some the best stories in wrestling ever told most of them are are good versus evil um, yeah. but that yeah I'm, I'm quite drawn to but but in as uh, as Emma's saying like there's there's so much scope within that with that within every culture there are stories of growth and self development and you know, being being able to uh, being able to include someone of a specific culture in order to tell that story, I think, would be amazing to be able to for them to be able to draw uh, draw inspiration from their heritage and from their ancestors to be able to tell a story. I think could be really powerful because you know, if a wrestler was to go out and draw inspiration from the Bible, um, they could tell a story of of self improvement and growth. But I'm sure that um, someone from the indigenous community can tell a story just as compelling uh, using their heritage instead. That maybe you know maybe we have been too limited in the way we've we've looked at things. But it it is a it's a tough balancing act, man. Like depending on uh, again, sort of knowing what the right stage is for for each person, and also putting people in the best the best circumstances to succeed as well. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky game, man. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it wasn't an easy question. And that's why I asked it to you. Um, 
taking a bit of a turn, I, I got a question here from Kevin again. Um, and th- this is, is obviously very, not politically motivated, but very situational in terms of where we sit now in terms of what's going on in the world. What does it mean for us here in Australia that the global market leader in pro wrestling has a long history of racially charged angles and at the worst, actively racist angles, and is in bed at the highest levels with the Republican administration. Somebody take a crack at that. Who? Okay, so, Who is so that? Michelle. Sorry? Mm-hmm. What is it? Okay, so Michelle, let me, let me kind of rephrase that because it's a long question. What does it mean yeah. for us here in Australia that the WWE, who 99% of wrestling fans knows as the company, uh, has a long his- has a long history of racially charged angles, and unfortunately, they've done racist angles as well. Uh, and is in bed with the Trump administration, which obviously, you know, the the issues with that administration. This isn't really the place to talk about American politics, but anyone who's turned the TV on for more than ten seconds kind of knows what's going on. Okay, so EPW has been dishing out their product for decades, obviously. Better part of 20 years, I don't know how many people who watch it would um, be very, very aware of their political alliance, but the fact that they have been pushing that uh, racial agenda for been a very long time, like we all know Nation of Domination and everything, like... That was what I was thinking of as well. um, They haven't really helped with how people have um, are perceived in wrestling because of stuff like that. And that can go towards women as well. Yeah. Dave, so, do you think they've turned a corner? Have we turned a corner? I well, think that, I, they is kind of mainstream wrestling. Uh, I, think, I think that they think they've turned a corner. Yeah. I personally am not surprised by this at all because... Wrestling, like, I, look, I might get heat, but, oh, well, you won't be mad for too long. I think WWE are, like, the capitalist of the wrestling industry. And I believe that they think they can get away with everything, disrespecting cultures, disrespecting women, disrespecting relationships. I, like... Of course, they're doing that. Of course, they support Trump. Of course, they, like, people who have stood up to WWE, especially talent, about racial stuff, don't have a job for much longer. And that's not a coincidence. They don't want you to speak up. They want you to be hush-hush and they want you to dance monkey dance. That's what, that's what I find WWE is. I personally don't watch the product anymore. I haven't for a while. I don't really have any interest there's a lot more better independent companies um out there that produce a better message that support young kids that want a better future for wrestling and want to see change and not recycle the same shitty storylines like i'm all like i like i love the like the gay community like i'm by myself i'm i have no issues with it but we're, we're in 2020 why are they doing like a lesbian storyline? When I was a kid, I saw those storylines and I couldn't make sense of it. 
I, I didn't think it was funny. I didn't, I thought it made me uncomfortable. And my mom at some point was like, you need to turn that off. Cause that's weird. That's not the message we want to like spread to people because wrestling brings people together. It brings families together. Like I used to watch it with my pop. If a pair of titties comes out or a pair of lesbians start making it out on the screen, it makes it a little bit uncomfortable sitting there when you're trying to enjoy a cup of tea and watch some wrestling with my pop. Yeah. But apparently that's over. And, like, I understand why it's over. I like that too. But I think there's a time and place, especially when there's young kids watching. Like, that's not the message we're supposed to be getting. And WWE don't fucking care. They just want to make money. They don't actually care what they're producing. That's all they are. They're just the capitalists of the wrestling industry. And that's my opinion. And I I, I yeah. I, for one, and I can't speak for the other three, like I'm very, very glad that the Attitude Era is over because that stuff doesn't hold up well. And nah. <laughs> but there, But there are TV shows and, like, I, I had this discussion the other day where wrestling is always very much on the front foot when it comes to media. Like, there's a reason why, for, for better or worse, WWE is so ingrained in Twitter. It's because they got there first. Um, yeah. and same, same yeah. thing with YouTube and same thing with pay-per-view, you know, they got to pay-per-view first, they got to a streaming service first and the biggest sporting organizations in the world are trying to play catch up to fake fighting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But <clears throat> I, I lost train of thought a little bit. There, there are TV shows out there now that are championing Right, like there are characters out there, and the one I'll refer to is something that you just brought up, Erica, uh, in return in terms of being bisexual. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. Um, for, for for those it's of you who haven't watched show. it, they've got two main characters. One is an openly gay black police captain, and another character gets revealed to be bisexual later in the series. I'm fine, I, and I can't speak for you guys. I'm fine with culture and sex being character traits, but they're not defining character traits. Exactly. If it adds depth, if exactly. it adds depth to a character, I'm fine with it. But you cannot cheer me, boo me, love me, hate me based on the color of my skin, where I'm from, or who I want to fall in love with. I agree. Dude, if you want to get your backs out, if you want to get your ass out, get it out. I am all for it. If that's what you want to get out and that's what that's a part of your character, do it. Like that makes me happy because that's again. That's a character's characteristic. It's a part yeah. of a personality. It's not the whole fucking story. Yes. Like yes. there's these women that they have. Like WWE have probably the best women pool that they've had in many many years. Like there are so many talented women, and they're all Ever. going to waste because they don't know what the fuck to do with them. So they're like, let's recycle these shitty storylines that worked in the nineties, and now they're not working now. And they're like, hmm, I wonder why. It's because people, like, we're all Pokemon. If you don't evolve, you're not going to be wanted. You're going to be left behind. You need to evolve. Yes, if you make mistakes, accept it, move on, and recognize it. But, like, we need to evolve. And, like, some of us have. And you can start to see where people are falling behind. Like, it's showing that people, like, their true colors are really kind of showing now because issues like this are being brought up. Well, talking about the issues that are being brought up, obviously moving forward, like uh, I, I know I got a lot of heat for going to the protest on Saturday. I'm sure you did too. Yeah, so did uh, I. Yeah. The fact that you climbed the Matthew Flinders statue cracked me up something. 
shocking. Actually, but... funny. I didn't. Okay, I'm scared of heights. So I was like, if I get up there, I'm going to get up there and be like, shit, I can't get down. And sit. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't. I climbed something else that was a bit smaller and I got my message across and I was like, yay, this is good. That's fine. I'm getting down now. But Sid being like, he just said to me, he like, looked at me, he's like, I'm going to climb it. I was like, all right, have fun. And he starts climbing. He's like, pass me your flag. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, my goodness. I'm, 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 and he's like, pass uh, me the sign. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I pass him the sign. And everyone, as soon as he got up there, he put like a mask on the sign and write Black Lives Matter on the mask and stuff. And as soon as he did it, everyone popped. And like, he got like a round of applause. And it was like me and my friend had this realisation. It was like my friend's partner was also up there and he's ginger too. And we both just looked at each other and we're like, why are the two whitest dudes defacing <laughs> this statue? And then it just like clicked and I'm like, they won't get in trouble. That, that's, that's the rib. They're not going to get in trouble. And funny enough, coppers walked past and they just looked at him and looked away. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is beautiful. So I, I like, I applaud him because he like, He's not afraid to support me. So why are other people? And he's white as fuck. He's almost transparent. He's Sid is ginger. actually the whitest person I know, yeah. Yeah, he's ginger and he's white and he accepts it and he embraces me and he supports me and he supports my family and he supports my culture. And by him going to the protest just proved that, that like other people can. So I don't understand why it's an issue. We have two completely different backgrounds, two completely different upbringings. Yeah. And we still have the same frame of mind about this issue. Well, speaking about the, the reason I brought up the protests is it, protests were about momentum and like, yeah, mm -hmm. COVID-19 is a thing. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but very much with this matter. And I think we all can collectively agree. It's kind of now or never or strike yep. while the iron's hot. Exactly. Moving forward as indigenous female wrestlers, how can we as a collective industry both fans and wrestlers alike champion Indigenous female wrestlers because it very much seems that the next generation of Indigenous wrestlers is going to be mostly women. And I, I for one, I'm wrapped about it. But people like Rochelle Rogue, Ivy Algos... Yeah, it's um, awesome. ...are, are, are all going to be coming through. And in 10 years, they're going to be at the top of the pile. How can we, as an Australian wrestling industry, champion Indigenous female wrestlers? I think... Um, first of all, feeling comfortable in your skin around the people that you're wrestling with is going to be really important. Um, don't do what I did. Don't not embrace it. Um, it is who you are. You know, it is part of who you are and nothing is going to change that. But people need to be comfortable with people embracing that side of themselves as well and not be intimidated by it, just embrace it and support it as much as they can. Um, also, if someone's making those racist or sexist comments, stamp it out, don't have that, no, no, none of that. Shut um, that shit down. I wish everyone could see the karate hands that Michelle was doing <laughs> to shut that shit down. Um, but this is an audio medium. Erica, where do, where do Indigenous LGBTQ folk sit in that conversation moving forward into the next generation of Australian wrestling? 
indigenous or otherwise. I reckon, like, we obviously need to embrace our young ones. And, like, I'm young myself. I'm only 23. Like, I've got a lot of learning to do. I'm still learning a lot, whether it be about myself or my culture. But I know personally we need people to embrace each other. And I agree with Michelle, embracing our bodies, embracing our, like, respecting our bodies. Like, we need to teach our girls how to respect our bodies. and obviously keep an eye on them make sure that they're not gonna like obviously we trust them that's not what i'm saying at all but embrace them teach them don't shut them down like i know there's a a lot of women like in wrestling that do get jealous and will shut you down if you're more popular than them or whatever the case may be that happens a lot like rumors start shit starts for no apparent reason and yeah. I think that that needs to stop, first of all, for just the women in general. We need to embrace each other and lift each other up. Oh, yeah, and trust definitely. me, we'd, we'd get a lot like more traction than we're, what we're already getting now. We're very talented women in Australia. Like yeah. All of our women across the board are extremely talented, whether, like, whether it be physical, whether it be character, whether it be like j- just we are the next generation of women. And we are probably like one of the strongest. And thanks to people like Madison Eagles and like all of those big women that did intergender and stuff. But now it's like, we, how do I explain it? It's like I've got it's, so it's much nice to have, in my brain. It's nice to have a I can't crop get of it talent. Out. It's nice to have a crop of talent where we can you know, do things to the best of our ability because, and Michelle's a perfect example for the first decade of her career had, you know, very little full female matches was constantly <laughs> doing an agenda because yeah. for a decade she was the only girl in an entire state. And the bet yeah. was fucking dope. <laughs> it was great. I was like, I moved to Melbourne like years ago and I moved there specifically because there was like two women's wrestlers and then <laughs> one of them dropped off. I moved all the way to Melbourne to wrestle these women and it wasn't until like the last two weeks I was there that I met Belle. (laughs) I was just like, I came here to wrestle the the wrestle women. I came here to wrestle girls and I've wrestled girls. Singular. (laughs) (laughs) feel like we need to be supportive of each other. 100%. That's the key word is support. Yeah. And then Davis off the back of that support and obviously in your mentor and teaching and coaching role, how do we create a plan for the future? Like hashtag lives matter is trending now, but in six months, a year, five years, maybe not. And hopefully it's because everything is even keel, but how do we create a plan for, performers of colour, you know, whether it be Asian Australians, Indigenous, African Australians, however, how do we create a plan for Australian wrestling to make sure that we don't necessarily have to have this conversation again? Sure, that's that's more complex than just... The way I look at it at the moment is there's there's all this rage that's built up, and rightfully so, there's all this rage built up that has combusted around this this singular event, but it obviously... There, there are so many issues that have led to that rage sort of building up in the first place. But rage to me is kind of like 
it's kind of like motivation that it is the thing that kickstarts, you know, whether it be uh, new year, new me, and we, we jump in the gym at the first mm-hmm. of January and motivations at an all time high. How are we looking come March and April and May and June? Maybe that motivation is gone. The motivation's died. What keeps us, uh, what keeps us moving towards the goal that we want to achieve? And I think that's the that's the thing that we all of us need to capitalize on this moment to to try and get these conversations, continue these conversations, and not not just look at this as a, a moment where we express our rage, particularly as as people who are just here as supporters. And I've I've tried to I've tried to uh, put it out there that for, for us as allies, our job is to turn the attention back to you guys. It is, not, it is not for me to put the focus on myself or the way I feel about these things. It is for me to put the focus on the way you guys feel about these things because this, this, is, not my, this is not my fight. I, I'm simply saying I will stand next to you while we fight. Um, mm. And and trying to trying to capitalize on this moment to to open doors and open conversations, I think, is the most important thing. And uh, too many people that are in a similar position to me, not in terms of uh, wrestling, in terms of life, we we have to be cautious that we aren't shutting down discourse by yelling at the other side. Our job is to support, and our job is to try and inform. Um, that if we can get information and put the right voices in people's ears, um, that hopefully through conversation we can change people's minds that will actually lead to some sort of change. Um, because if, if all we, and, and it, it's, it's, it's been bugging me ever since I saw it, because I know changing the date of Australia Day is a huge topic and this would be a perfect moment to, but it, but it also feels like that thing that might, that people might feel like this this is the salve that will allow us to get past this conversation. What what do we have to do to keep you happy? What do we have to do to keep to shut you up? Change the date? Yeah, cool. Done. Change the date. Now can we shut up about this and get back to regular programming? But it's it's not that simple. Change, changing the date is not the the only thing that is going to to move us forward and change things in a meaningful way. Um, would would that be a tremendous start? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That can't be the end of the conversation. That, that there's so much more to discuss, and it's it is hard to sit down and listen to stories of hardship, um, and and realize that the life that I enjoy in this country um, was built on the decimation of a culture. That is that is a really hard thing to come to terms with, and it is a really hard thing to hear that we we need to realize. It was not our generation's fault, but we are now being given the opportunity to help be a part of the solution instead of perpetuating the past. Um, how we do that exactly, mate, I, I don't know, but we, we simply cannot afford to scream at the walls for two weeks and then just go back to regular programming because that's not going to change that's, the thing. That's what I'm really worried about. Like, the fact that it took a really horrendous thing that people saw to have any kind of change actually move forward when these issues have been going on for a very, 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 very long time. And the fact that it wasn't even something that happened in our country that got people to actually talk about it, it's like, 
yeah, we're, we're here too. <laughs> you know, we, we're, dealing, we're dealing with some shit too, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate that the horrible thing has opened up a conversation, has opened up a dialogue. I'm very appreciative of that. I'm appreciative that people have done some research and are trying to share the right information. Um, but how long are people going to push that? Mm. Like, when, when is it? I am waiting for the day that it, you know, that it's not mentioned anymore and it just falls to the side because it has happened before. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have to keep pushing for something because the way that our culture is treated and our people are treated is not right. It's not right. And yes, we're striking when the, when the plate's hot right now, but it is getting traction. I just hope that that traction continues. And, and I think that's very much it. It's about continuing to have those conversations and not appeasing the people who don't want to have the uncomfortable conversations. Like you said, if changing the date is what comes of all this, tremendous, but it's not very much, will that shut you up? Like Davis said, we need to continue to keep having these conversations. But as we start to wrap this up on a positive note, Moving forward for the next generation of Indigenous Australian wrestlers, what support would you like to see in the future? Is it, you know, more all Indigenous events or support for upcoming talent? Uh, Davis, I know you and I spoke about this offline, so I'll throw to you first. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very keen to try, and, to try and get a conversation started. And again, you know, it is... I'm just trying to facilitate the conversation that your voices are far more important in this conversation than mine is. I'm just fortunate to be in a spot where um, due to my work over the last two decades, I've got a certain level of respect. I can say things with impunity that maybe other people can't say. Um, And I suppose with age as well, I I just don't give a shit. You've got the balls. (laughs) Uh, um, so, So, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's super important to me that we we do throw this back to you guys. This is this is I can't tell anybody what the best way to move forward is. All I can do is ask you, how do you think we move forward? And then when you give me those answers, not try to change your mind, but try and support you as best that I can. And I would like to see um, I would like to see a level of of framework set up that. You know, Australian wrestling promotions, you, you were asking earlier about culture, John, and I think the, the thing that we lack more so than necessarily a distinct Australian wrestling style, we just lack Australian culture. We feel like we feel like a hand-me-down US indie. Most of us do. We're, there's nothing uniquely Australian about us. And by participating more in our communities and this is not necessarily an indigenous issue but it's a beautiful place to start because it is something where maybe we can make a meaningful difference is we need to reach out to our local communities whether that be here in Perth or whether that be the wider Australian community we we need to attach ourselves more to our communities mean more to our communities instead of trying to mean something to and it's great if people halfway across the world can relate to the stories that we're telling here and they Mm -hmm. enjoy the wrestling that we're producing but the more important thing is to find find our own identity to to stand for more than just wrestling wrestling is the gate that we we use to draw attention to ourselves 
and we can use that platform in a more positive way to be able to influence mm. our communities. Michelle, what about you? Um, I think, first of all, if you're someone who comes into wrestling, um, you know, I think it's very important to be proud of who you are, no matter who you are. Be very proud of that. Um, you know, if you feel the need to establish boundaries, I think those boundaries need to be respected. I think 100%. If people, if people see something that you might, you might not necessarily be there for, you know, everyone needs to stand up for each other. It's not a case of, okay, that person's gone, now we can talk about them in a derogatory manner. No, it's, you know, stand up. Stand up for what's fucking right. <laughs> you know? do, do, do the right thing. Oh, that, just do the right thing by each other. You know, if we, if we could all just do the right thing by each other, it would be, it'd be so nice. It'd be lovely. <laughs> you know? And Erica? Um, um, I reckon like, like a good place to kind of start embracing it would be the acknowledgement that would be dipping the toe in the water to kind yeah. of just see how people are going to react and how people are going to kind of, it's going to be a one-off thing and then, you know, do one show and then the next show they don't, then it'd be like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I agree with Michelle supporting each other embracing each other you are who you are yeah don't ever be ashamed of that embrace it it's taken me a couple of years to accept it to accept who i am and trust me life's a lot better when you accept who you are and when you embrace who you are and you never know what your story can do for someone if you're open and honest and you get your story out like michelle's inspiring to me to be honest like she's got a different story to me, but we, when I first met her, she welcomed <laughs> me with open arms and it was like, it was family. It sounds wanky as shit, yeah. but she, it felt like family. And I met her mum, and she's beautiful too. And we got like a nice picture and it was nice. And like, I think everyone should embrace everyone. Like it, how cool would it be? If we could actually sit backstage or even sit with fans and discuss differences about our culture, like just for example, like for food, food yeah. is like wrestling is also a good gateway for people to come together and to use our platform. Like I agree with what David said, like that's fucking, that's the whole point why we're here today. But just for example, with food, if we like, maybe I'm going to sound a little bit ignorant and I don't mean to at all. But if we didn't let Asian cultures in our country, we wouldn't have Asian food. And how fucking good is Asian food? <laughs> yeah. If we didn't, if we didn't let, if we didn't let Middle Eastern culture in, we wouldn't have Middle Eastern food or Indian food. And by opening that door, like I like to, if someone's being like a bit of a dick and bit racist to me, I'd be like, okay, do you like curry? Do you like rice? Okay, you like their food, so why can't you accept the person? That's a part of the person. So you can like certain bits, but you can't like the whole person? Like, what's, what, what's the issue? Like, if we all just, like, sat backstage and, like, pointed differences, I'm like, yeah, we can have a laugh to each other about our differences in our culture. I mean, Aaron do it all the time. 
Like it's, he has a very Western culture and I have a very different culture and we embrace it. We think it's hilarious. Like I'm going to cook emu for him in a couple of weeks time. I'm so excited. He's like, Oh wow. Emu. I'm excited to try. Like he's keen to try it. But like, it's like, yeah, there's differences, but difference isn't scary. Being different isn't an issue that people are scared of it for some reason. Just listen, like communicate, listen, and just don't be a dick. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> I don't know. How I, I, I think that sums up our, our almost two hour conversation really, really yeah, well. Really. Just don't be a dick. But I, I think I can speak for everyone listening. And I know that the three of you and myself included that if we get a fire lit under our backside and stuff that we can achieve, that we've all achieved individually and what we can achieve collectively is pretty damn incredible. So I'm excited for this to not be the last conversation that we have about these issues because it's about now and it's about the the next generation, like the things that I'd like to see, you know, very much uh, the same based on what you guys spoke about, but putting things in place so that the next generation feels comfortable about wearing their culture on their tights and, and, you know, boom me because I'm a heel, not because of the flag I've got on my bum. Um, yeah. Tony, who I believe is still listening, uh, and, and the other guys <laughs> on the turnbuckle, uh, on behalf of Davis Storm, Erica Reed, and Michelle Hasluck, um, and the rest of the wider Indigenous pro wrestling community, I want to thank you guys so much for allowing us the platform to have this discussion. So uh, thank you guys so very, very much. From us, Joel, we'd like to thank you very, very much. It was an enthralling uh, conversation to listen to and I don't know if any of us who weren't in your shoes understood the the deep feeling and uh, anxiety, I suppose, at times that you guys have been through through your wrestling career. Congratulations on your openness and your honesty throughout this uh, chat. And you're right, all of you, uh, let's not make this the last conversation that we have. Let's have this as a an ongoing thing throughout the wrestling community and hopefully uh, not only improve the lot for all of our wrestlers, but also uh, let's try and change the world a little bit as well. That'll be lovely. Yeah. Well done, guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate everything that you've uh, spoken about tonight. And we'll catch you at a wrestling ring soon, hopefully. 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 Thanks for having us, dudes. I appreciate it.